Hey everybody, Chase here, and uh, we are actually here on the very first episode of the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. My first guest, uh, if he's listening right now, is probably saying, wow, finally. Um, yeah, uh, Thomas Wimberly is my first guest, and we actually sat down and had this conversation uh, in January, uh, so eight months ago. Um, why haven't you posted this yet, Chase? Yeah, uh, I'm a procrastinator, and... Uh, quote unquote busy. Uh, everybody's busy, but you know how it goes. Anyway, so uh, Thomas is an artist and graphic designer. He was born here in Baton Rouge, and we actually had this conversation right before he moved, picked up his life, and moved all the way across the country to Los Angeles to take his dream job working for his greatest influence, Shepard Ferry. Um, we didn't talk about it too much in this episode, but I can confidently say eight months later that he is killing it. During our short Saturday morning conversation, we talk about how Thomas got into art, what influences him, his creative process, his dad, his black wardrobe, skulls on his paintings, political undertones, and we actually talk politics for about 45 minutes. So um, skip that. Feel free to skip that part uh, because no one likes politics. Anyway, really enjoyed this conversation. Thomas, thanks again for hanging out. And please forgive me for posting this so late. I definitely will be catching you next time you're through to chat again. Thomas Wimberly. This is episode one very first episode super pumped that we are in a small tiny room closet with my iphone and uh, a microphone that hopefully doesn't sound too terrible and thomas is here I'm mr here. thomas wimberly in his um traditional black on black <laughs> i actually wore my california shirt today oh nice nice which we'll get into because thomas is about to go to california and so we last minute met on saturday morning so thanks for coming by yeah absolutely and thanks for the coffee where is this from again? Uh, that's from District Donuts, mostly because... Oh, District Donuts. Yeah, on the way here, I was trying to cut down time, and it was either waiting Starbucks line or just running really quick, but they're pretty good cold brew. I've so. never... I've heard... I think Tori went to District Donuts and then said that their donuts weren't that great. Yeah, well, I think we we're, like, ruined with having Mary Lee yeah, around here, because sure. everything else is just... For out, sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I've never been to District Donuts, and their coffee's pretty good, so I should give them a shot at some point, I guess. Um, so Thomas asked me before we started, what's the structure? And I was like, we have no structure, dude. <laughs> this is Chase Doesn't Know, and I don't know much. Thomas knows a lot about art that uh, I want to hear about. So where are you getting... You've been like going crazy for the past couple of weeks. Tell me why you've been going crazy for the past couple of weeks. Well, uh, my wife and I in two weeks are about to be moving to Los Angeles um, thanks to a job opportunity I've been given to work with... Um, Probably my idol and biggest source of inspiration, uh, Shepard Ferry of Obey Giant. Um, so yeah, we're just we're everything's been happening pretty quick. So we're just in the final steps of packing things up and tell people bye. And we've never lived anywhere but Baton Rouge before. So good uh, for you. Well, Baton Rouge and close to Baton Rouge. Where we're getting out. <laughs> it's weird, man. I um, I'm so excited about what's coming, but I'm also like really bummed to tell people bye for the moment, you know. But yeah. luckily with you know, the web and 
FaceTime and everything else, I feel like we'll still be, you know, in people's lives, just not, not physically. Right, for sure. Yeah, our my brother-in-law, Tori's brother, lived away for oh, yeah. about a year, and it was, they, there was, like, parts of it where, like, they were going, but uh-huh. then there's other parts of it. Of course, the time difference was, like, nine hours. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, FaceTime, like, you could have an hour-long FaceTime and just do normal stuff. Like, what, at one point, he was, like, washing dishes, and we were, like, talking to him. So <laughs> yeah. it's, like, kind of, like, normal life here in there. In right. Or whatever. Uh, so that's pretty cool. So are you ready to go? Uh, <laughs> mentally or physically? I don't know. Either. <laughs> Probably no to both. Uh, well, I, I had to shut down my shoot studio um, last week. I finished wrapping that up right for the new year. I had to be out. That was like a very strange experience. We've been in there almost three years, maybe like two and a half and some change. Um, And I mean, all of the growth that I've experienced and all of the little bit of luck that I've had has all happened while we were possessing that shop. So it was kind of bittersweet to see it go, but I'm stoked to see like what's next. And I know my next space that I get, whenever that may be. Um, it's going to be a lot smaller, mm-hmm. but that's kind of exciting too. Just a new challenge, you know, I kind of get spoiled. The place was massive. That place was pretty, pretty massive. I remember I mean, the first time I walked over there and walked in, it was like, it was pretty cool. It's because it's a super industrial warehouse. A lot of concrete. like a lot of art, you know, going around. I think, it, what's the guy's name that's with you? Uh, actually with you? Chase. Yeah. Chase, right. Uh, I knew that. I was just like, <laughs> podcast conversation. Um, so you and chase are in there and he also is an artist yeah a different style of artist yeah um so chase and i actually have an interesting history um he's one of my closest friends i've got a few friends that i'm really lucky to call brothers more than friends because at this point it's just like i know they're going to be there forever right but um anyway uh chase and i met whenever we started waiting tables here in baton rouge at j alexander's and then after that, we both went and got hired at Texas Day Brazil at the same time. So between the two of us, I think we were waiting tables about five and a half years, maybe total. Um, and so anyway, we, that was while I was going through school, put myself through school with that. And um, afterward, when I graduated, I, I started at an agency in Mandeville that I was commuting to. And Chase's wife got a teaching contract in Qatar. And so they moved away for two years. Speaking of living abroad. Right, yeah. <laughs> and um, right before they moved back, I we had been in talks about getting an art studio that we could share. I was freelancing at the time, full time. And um, anyway, the shop lined up. We had a really cool landlord that helped us out a lot. And uh, when he came back, we had it waiting. And since then, he's been developing his craft while I've been kind of doing mine as well. Um, his stuff is a lot more um, traditional as far as like his aesthetic approach, um, watercolor and acrylic, a lot of like wildlife and these juxtapositions of wildlife and very interesting environments. And he's starting to say a lot of it with his work, which is really cool. Because mm-hmm. originally it was more of just um, like replicating what he saw to the best of his ability and developing his craft. But now he's kind of, he's got a voice now, which is really cool seeing that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome, like, having him in that spot, especially being such a close friend. Um, we were kind of able to, you know, feed off each other's success. And um, for a while, it was mostly just him doing stuff. And eventually, I caught, like, a little bit of heat. And then I kind of got the momentum that I'm trying to continue today. So, mm-hmm. But it's all thanks to that space, no doubt. Yeah, there, I think there definitely is something to um, uh, being in a, like, collaborative type oh, yeah. of space. Because I know in uh, the work that I do is, like, just 
you know, sitting down at a computer and doing computer stuff. I feel you. But even whenever you're, um, like when I first moved into this office and was working on some things and then Nathan moved into this office, we kind of were able to work on something together Mm -hmm. and then like having the, uh, like you're really productive whenever you put your head down and work. Yeah. But whenever you have an idea of something, there's somebody to bounce it off of, Mm -hmm. somebody to get other ideas from. There's definitely something to the, the open atmosphere type thing. It's funny because, um... Chase was my, just like you're saying, like bumping things off of people. Uh, my wife is one of my favorite thing, people to um, bounce ideas off of, especially when it comes to art or design, because she's not a part of that world whatsoever. Like mm-hmm. Her only contact with that is whatever I bring you right. know, home. And it's awesome asking her because she gives me a very like layman approach to like, oh, well, this is what I think, because she's not, she's not really invested in it in any way, so she just... You know, the first thing she thinks, that's what she tells she's me. She's not typically. scared to offend you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> my most honest, brutal critic and my favorite. But Chase was on the other side of things where he was more in the industry, but not in the same like sect that I was in. Right. And so he could provide like advice that was more parallel as opposed to just coming in with no information, you know? Yeah. And then sure. uh, one of my other best friends, Nick, is awesome because he's not, he's not really in the art world, but he's like... I don't know. We did like high school class art classes together. So he's like, he's capable of drawing really, really well and things like that. So it's nice because he offers the middle ground most mm-hmm. of the time. So I definitely think it's important to have those people that you can, you can talk with about, you know, right, bring you, sure. bring you back down to reality. Cause yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know how it is sometimes when you're by yourself in a space, just like feeding up yourself, it's easy to get like either big headed or just forget about like being tethered to reality. Right. Or get distracted. Absolutely, and, like, waste time doing things that. Now, I can't say Chase and I didn't waste a lot of time. We wasted <laughs> a lot of time, but we did get a lot of stuff done too. We we would waste a lot of time on nights where we were there till like four a.m. Watching still... Stranger Things. Well, that 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 was an assigned wasted time. <laughs> okay, night. But uh, yeah, man, it was um, this part of my life that I'm coming out of, I think will like have more of an impact on me than most other times that I've had so far. I'm like a firm believer in like stages in life. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel like I'm coming out of this last stage. And, and that's what's got me so stoked about what's next because I never thought I'd be even where I'm at today. Just, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not going to say I'm killing it by any means, but m- for my quality of life and what I wanted to do, the fact that I sell any prints or, a few paintings here and there, like more than I ever could have thought I'd be doing. That's cool. It's really cool. So, so what I've, I think I'm, so we met originally, I DJ'd your wedding. Yeah. I think that was like that, actually the first time that we met. Yeah. And I think so. Then we kind of, like you said earlier, we kind of re-met again a little bit later and we've done a little bit of work together. Mm-hmm. Um, your digital design expertise helped, <laughs> helped me out. But to speaking of stages, I think I've probably only known you in your last three year stage. So, uh-huh. What, what were the stages before that? Uh, before that was definitely, I mean, you know, from the start, adolescence and growing up, um, I grew up in a really, like, conservative house. Um, I had a good childhood. Uh, didn't really, you know, want or need for anything. Uh, my parents helped to make me very grounded. My dad raised me up to kind of, like, have a fairly solid head on my shoulders, in my opinion. Um, so then, you know, from adolescence... My life went through a lot of changes when I was um like in early middle school because like my 
the church that my parents were going at at the time, we changed. And I stopped going from a private school that I had been at my whole life to public school. Mm-hmm. It's funny, that's actually exactly when I met my uh, friend Nick that I had, I had just mentioned. Um, and so that was kind of like culture shock, having grown up in such a no bubble. But, um, you know, the following years after that, like early high school and stuff, um, really were, f- well, late high school technically were formulative years because that's when I started taking like high school art classes. And it's so freaking cliche to talk about high school art classes. Like every artist that I've ever heard probably talked, but it's true. Like that was my first, you know, little like um, peer into, you know, more art than just self-initiated things that done color. Did, books did you like, like that. did you, because uh, I remember my uh, high school art classes, mm-hmm. but did you, uh, being in the art class, did you feel restricted by what was happening? Did you like what was happening? What was the... Man, I love the fact that these, my high school art classes were the first art classes I ever had because at my, um, my private school that I went to, I mean, they had like an art hour or whatever, but it wasn't anything like that. Um, I didn't feel like restricted. Shout out to Daryl Babin, by the way, high school <laughs> art teacher. Um, Daryl Babin was awesome because he taught us technique and fundamentals. And while um, I didn't necessarily, like, I was wanting something else at the time, like something more like to teach me how to be a bit more expressive in things. But I know, like, being a high school art class, you have to cater to the lowest denomination. And that's somebody that is literally just taking it for an elective. Like, like me. <laughs> or, yeah, somebody just has, you know, they have to take this. They got to fill up that credit, which is fine. It's not for everybody. Right. Um, so that being said, I did learn a lot of technique and, you know, I had a good introduction to mediums and stuff like that. But there was a, a few things I was wanting more, but I didn't know at the time what that even was. I mean, honestly, it wasn't until post-college that I figured out what that was. Um, so that, that those stages in high school were pretty good. Um Late high school was my first introduction to um, the music that I listen to now, which is just punk. Like, mm-hmm. growing up in, like, a, that bubble I described, I really couldn't listen to a lot of stuff. My parents were pretty protective. Um, and, like, that, man, once once I discovered punk music, like, <laughs> that just changed everything. Really? Because, um, I mean, it introduced me to this whole new world and these new artists that I really enjoyed and also the styles associated with them. I had friends skated, that skated a lot growing up. Um, but I never really got into it because I'm not coordinated enough. Um, but the culture and the graphics and just everything around that, man, it had me like pumped. I couldn't like I just remember like the Spitfire logo, the guy with the flames, yeah, and his teeth. Like I remember seeing that and just being like, man, like somebody made this, and like I want to be a guy that makes stuff like this. You That's know? really cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as far as stages, I'd say adolescence, late high school, and then in college, um probably the busiest phase of my life, like putting myself through school with, I had some scholarships, but I had to supplement everything else with waiting tables every night. Um, and that along with moving out at the beginning of college and kind of like providing for myself was very formulative. Um, in that same time, one of the biggest events of my life happened. And that's when my dad suffered a few aneurysms, um, was hospitalized for about a well, he was hospitalized for about two and a half months, but he was in a coma for a very sick. Like they, they thought he was done like, really? for a while. Yeah, wow. Like there was talk about like cords and things like that. It wow. was it was pretty rough. Um, and how old were you? I was twenty, I think. Wow. Yeah, I was I was living in my first apartment, and yeah, I hadn't even like finished my first year at living on my own, mm. and that happened. 
moved back home, dropped out of school, um, started working, sandblasting with my uncle so I could be closer to home. And um, eventually I went back to school from the advice of my uncle and a few other people, like once things kind of calmed down a little bit. Um, but in that time, I started having to think for myself a lot more because my dad was really my rock when it came to advice and things like that. And he couldn't provide that anymore. Um, so that was like a big, a big moment in my life. I mean, it, you know, my wife and I have been together for about 10 years. We've been married, you know, almost five of that, but the rest was, you know, dating and things like that. And that, that was like a big time for us because she would, she knew what I was going through and had to like put up and also put up with me and also be there for me and just listen. But it was a strain. And eventually like, we kind of had to rethink some things. And um, when I got my head back on straight, that's when I knew I wanted to marry her. And um, at that point, I think is like what started the like second to last phase where just being an adult, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, Not yeah. like graduating school and working at an agency. And eventually that led into freelancing, which led into, you know, getting the shop for the last almost three years. So. Cool. Yeah, a few stages. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. There's a couple. What What about, like, uh, I mean, so first part of your life sounds like it was mainly controlled, somewhat comfortable, yeah, normal type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you hit, like, five years of a bunch of stuff happening. Yeah. I mean. And it's like, how did that, how did that get, I guess, how did you get through all of that? And then how does that play into what you're doing today? I mean, honestly, like, my life fell apart completely. Like, like I said, my dad was my rock, like, my best friend. When he got hurt, um, like, he was in a coma for over a month. Like, it was it was that's, rough. That's crazy, yeah. Um, when that happened, everything fell apart. And including even, like, my relationship with my wife was on the rocks. I mean, my, my girlfriend at the time. Um, like I said, like, that was eventually repaired once I got my head back on straight. But, um... It's weird because when everything falls apart, that's when like everything shakes out and you realize what's left is what's important. Almost like, you know, those mi like yeah, yeah, gold yeah. miners will shake out the, right. the dirt and set it, you yeah. know, and whatever's left is the, the gold and the loot. It made me realize what I needed out of life to live and also a little bit more about, made me more confident in myself when I was came out of it because like, cool, if I can get through that. You'll probably get through much of most anything, you know. Um, but, you know, some of those things that were important to me was self-fulfillment. My dad always taught me, like, whatever I do for a living, make sure it's fulfilling because his wasn't. And he regretted it all the time. And also made me realize, like, how important my, my then girlfriend was to me at the time, my wife now. And how, like, I don't know, it's, it, when things, you know, when things hit the fan, whatever is left. You know, it sometimes you don't realize that you should have been paying more attention to that from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so post that, um, I got like a lot more of a DIY approach to things because I could, like I said, I could, my dad did so much, man. He was like hands down the most talented, like body repairman for vehicles and also just knew how to do everything. Yeah. Painted cars, knew how to fix my breaker box, knew how to. Right. You know, he wired most of the electricity in their house and the plumbing and, like, just hands his, down. His dad knowledge was top-notch. Oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> unmatched. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it made me a lot more, like, 
once I lost that aspect, I was like, okay, well, I got to figure this stuff out on my own. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that influenced who I am today as far as like, if I don't know something, I'm going to figure it out. Or I'm going to decide that it's not worth my time and it's not going to be an issue anymore. Yeah, you know? right. Um, so you, so in the on the art side of things, you, you uh, did some high school stuff and then you went through the program at LSU. Mm-hmm. It was a graphic design program at LSU. Yeah, yeah. So what, where did you break off and do your own stuff? Well, I'd say like the first... So the first year at LSU, you're not in the design program. You're just trying to get into it. So you have to take your fundamentals, which is like your painting classes and your drawing, some sculpture and 3D stuff. So the good thing is that a lot of the programs that you have to test into, um, you have to take the same fundamentals. So like there's a lot of people that started off with me that ended up going into, you know, art history or, you know, sculpture or things like that. Shout out to Conrad Freeman, by the way, of Freeman Handcrafted. That uh, I know Conrad. I don't know him. I follow him. Dude, one of the most like solid guys I know, and one of the most talented carpenters I've ever known. But anyway, we were in sculpture together. Um, but excuse me, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> um, my so my first years were the fundamental classes. I tested in and got in my sophomore year. Um, and I didn't really start doing my own thing until, it's, it's actually a funny story. My typography teacher, Paul Dean, was really cool. Paula Dean? Paul. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Say, wow, I know, Paula dude, Dean. I cracked up. She's I cracked an expert up. in everything. <laughs> Paul Dean of Beauregard Town fame. He, uh, he would always give us really cool stuff, like stickers or like art magazines and stuff. And he had like this rack outside his his office that he would just fill stuff. Anyway, one day at class, he was handing out stickers and he gave me one that was for mid city bikes on government street. Mm. And this thing, man was like a bike. Um, like the cog that the, I'm, I'm butchering this, but you know where, where the uh, pedals go into like that main, Oh, like the sprocket. sprocket. Yeah. 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 It was that, but it had an MC for mid city bikes and it was interlocked. And man, it was just like, it harkened back to that Spitfire logo yeah. I told you about. And I saw it and I was just like, man, this is incredible. Like, you know, there was a lot of attention to detail and it just, there's some graphics before I knew what like vector was and before I knew like how things were recreated digitally. I don't know why. I guess when I was a little kid, I thought there was a machine that just like punched <laughs> things out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, cause my only interaction had been like clip art and things like that. Yeah. So I just assumed it was something that a machine calculated and punched out. When I asked Paul who, who, you know, where it was from, he told me that, oh, that's one of my previous students designed that. And um, his name's Brad Jensen. And he actually just opened his own shop called Bricks and Bombs. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Like that, I was, it blew my mind that he was local and yeah. he had been sitting in the same spot that I was sitting right yeah. then. So anyway, um, that he opened the shop off Government Street bricks and bombs and i went there a few times like before i had to like i'd have to be at work for like six and i'd fly over there after school and check out the shop and he was never there Mm -hmm. and there was this giant logo um the logo for bricks and bombs actually wearing a shirt yeah the t-shirt is is a hammer and a um like a brick um i forget what uh, like a uh they use it to put the mortar between yeah i forget what it's called but they're locked up almost like you know like the um like the russian kind of lock up um, anyway, it's just like really intriguing. Eventually I bugged him enough. Like I kept going enough to where I finally called him one day and long story short, like that, um, 
turned into a very great friendship that I still like treasure today. Um, I apprenticed under him for a while. He taught me everything I know about screen printing and most of all the applicable information I have when it comes to my design, like freelance and stuff, I learned from him. Like, can't thank Brad Jensen enough for what he instilled in me. That was the, the changing point. And that's when I started doing my own thing. I started, like I said, he taught me how to print. I started printing like some shirts um i started the stay true little like side brand that i had mm -hmm. for a minute um he taught me how to cut stencils and make these really big stuff he let me have a show there for my one of my senior shows um that hands down meeting brad was like the moment that i started making stuff for myself and also brad was my introduction to shepherd fairy really um i had seen shepherd's work but once again growing up in a very conservative small town you know, I hadn't really seen much of it, but it was enough to where when he told me who he was and I saw the Andre the Giant stickers, I was like, oh, man, I can't like I've seen this online before. Um, but I've, he gave me the name to put to it. I didn't realize it was Shepard's work. Mm -hmm. And then um, not long after that, Netflix released um, Exit Through the Gift Shop, that Banksy documentary. Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh man, it's really cool. Add it to my list. Yeah, it's it's about uh, mostly this artist named Mr. Brainwash, um, but he's been connected with Banksy and Shepard and a bunch of other people, Space Invader. Um, but anyway, all that happened at the same time, and I was just getting overloaded yeah. with inspiration. I right. was just like, "This is crazy. This is exactly what I want to be doing." Right. So that was the moment that I really started doing. I started thinking more about my own stuff. It didn't it didn't develop really till post college, mm -hmm. and you know the last few years. But that was a big moment for me that's what i was kind of um i fish was fishing a little because i was kind of wondering how the you developing your own style and own um work in the art world lined up with you um kind of being forced to do things on your own in your actual life yeah if those things kind of went hand in hand oh yeah man. You're doing. everything kind of lined up because that's when i started finding out who i am you know mm -hmm. um and to be fair my work like my inspirations are still very strong in my work. Like I study Shepard, I study what he does, I study what Brad taught me, and I'm hoping. Like I'm still in the very early stages of what I'm doing, um, and I know that my work still is very reminiscent of who I'm studying. But I'm hoping that through like repetition and through constantly working, that eventually my own style is gonna like emerge from that. While um, I'll still I'll still maintain certain aspects of what I'm doing now, but I'm looking for eventually what's going to be like my take on things. Mm -hmm. And that's not what drives me by any means, but through talking um, with Shepard, even when I went for my interview and, and talking with Brad and stuff, like I'm just at such an early stage in my career where it's like, I'm, I'm studying right now, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm replicating what I see, but through doing that plenty of times and over the next few years, I think eventually I'm going to like fine tune things to where it's clearly mine as opposed to just ripping off somebody else. Right which I get accused of online. And I totally understand because, you know, if I had fans like that, I'd love for them to go to bat for me. And mm -hmm. these people have been around so long. They're titans in the, in this world that I'm trying to get into. You know, I don't take any offense to it. Like I, it's, it's, it's a bummer when they don't realize it's like, I claim that it's inspired by them. I give them credit, but some people just don't know. Right. But, you know, even when talking with with people about that like friends and family they all say the same thing it's like you know you're not going to please everybody oh for sure and that that's a hard pill especially to with art i mean isn't that like 
the whole point of art is that it's subjective. Oh, yeah. So and it's funny because like I get heat on both sides because <laughs> my work is more liberal in nature, uh-huh. a bit more progressive. And around here is, you know, this is a conservative place. Uh-huh. Just fine. Like they're great people here. They're great people everywhere. And there's there's assholes everywhere, too. Right, you know? right. But it's funny because like I get people that butt up against me on some of the topics that I do, which is fine. They're entitled to their opinion just like I am. My whole point is that I like having the conversations about it. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because I have people that will relate to the message but dog me for the the still showing my inspirations. <laughs> so it's like you really can't please can't everybody. Really. Yeah. yeah. And that when when I got offered the job with Shepherd and all that worked out. That was like the most validation I could ever expect because it's like, cool, like the guy people are constantly telling me I rip off, which it looks like his stuff because that's what I like. You right, know what I'm right. saying? That's what, as I'm trying to find my own, but to get like a job working for him, I'm like, cool, like nothing anyone says matters yeah, anymore. For sure. That's kind of, that's kind of when you shed what everybody else says about what's happening. You can really explore what you can do. Oh yeah. There's too much noise out there. Yeah. Like. If you really listen to everything else out there, people critiquing you and people dogging you, even people like that want to inflate your ego, mm-hmm. it can get overwhelming. Like it's really important to pinpoint what you want to listen to. You know, mm-hmm. that goes back to me talking about my wife Chase and Nick, like having those people say, "Okay, I'm gonna listen to them and I'm gonna listen to these other people, but I'm not just gonna let every single thing in." Right. Um, speaking of Shepherd Fairy. How in the world did this even start? Well, man, because uh, I, I I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure maybe I've heard his name. Mm-hmm. A, a little background. I'm pretty sure I had heard his name. Maybe I had definitely seen like the Obey stuff. Yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, and then over like the past year or so, I think I probably saw his stuff through your Instagram <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. And so then I've kind of discovered like how massive he is. Yeah. And then in the past month or two hearing that you like met with him, talked with him, had a piece. Well, I'll let you tell. Uh, <laughs> How did it start? Uh, well, man, like a little side note, me and one of the discussions my studio mate Chase and I always had was um, like, obviously you hear all the time, like it's who you know, mm-hmm. but a parallel conversation of that is one about luck that we always have. And I think you can work your tail off your entire life and never get anywhere and still be incredibly talented and still, but the only thing that changes that in my opinion is luck. And by that, I mean, I think that you need to work hard enough and constantly enough so that when luck strikes, you know what to do with it. Mm. Because I think luck hits people all the time that have no idea what to do with it. And you know, their life could have tangented off to a, a route they never even thought possible, but they didn't know what to do with it at the moment because they weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. And so my mentality the last few years has been just be prepared to do whatever I can with whatever I get, even if it's, you know, small things. That's part of the reason I had those two group shows this year. There weren't any group shows going on that I, that I thought were really cool. Uh, I mean, there are markets and things like that. They're awesome, but I decide to make that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, all that being said about luck, I can't attribute it to anything but that as far as meeting Shepard. A year ago in um, October, 
Shepard has a um, an art gallery, Subliminal Projects, and has housed like a bunch of like some of my favorites, like Tristan Eaton, and he's had stuff there. And Cleon Peterson has showed work. Anyway, on their Instagram, they had an open submission where um, the estate of Jim Marshall, a photographer, was showing work there um, based on the peace symbol. He had documented it throughout the eras, and he had like a bunch of unreleased photos that were going to be, you know, on on display. To fill up the rest of the gallery, um, Shepard in his studio hosted this um, this open submission where you could post an image related to a peace sign or the idea of peace, and um, they would pick five to be in the show. And uh, there ended up being like 360, I think, 350 submissions from what I read. I- I'm-, I'm guessing, but... Anyway, they ended up taking 10, and I was one of them that got selected. Wow. And I had done an image of a chain, like a circular chain, with a uh, gun like being broken in half that made the bottom legs of the peace symbol. Okay. Um, it was like an anti-war piece more than anything. Um, but anyway, I got selected to do that, and um, they told me, like, hey, you know, go ahead and mail it to us. If you want to come to the show, you're more than welcome. I'd never been to California before, so... I called my buddy Nick and I was like, Hey man, I got into the show. Like, but it was super last minute. Like the show was like a week and a half after they announced who was in it. Oh wow. And so I'm just like, Oh man, like I, like I can't pass this up. Right. And dude, Nick, Nick is, like I said, he's one of a few people, including like Chase and my buddy Zach, that are just brothers at this point. Nick was just like, cool. When we leave. And I, and I bought the tickets that night. To be honest, like I was scraping at the time. I wasn't doing, I, I had, um, I had been at an agency for a little bit that I'm actually still at and it was awesome, you know, but I didn't have like, um, I don't know. I just didn't have like that chunk on the side to right. devote, but dude, it was weird talking about luck. Like I had already scheduled a vacation to go to, um, there's a conference here in Baton Rouge called crop, a design conference. It's been really great the last few years. They had a pop-up in Austin. And I scheduled that week off because I was going to go chill with my buddy in Austin and go to that conference. So I just like, I was like, well, can't do that. Now I can go to California. But I put online that I was going and I had people like scoop up some older pieces, take some commissions. And like, I just, I got the money together like that, which it wasn't a substantial amount. But like I said, like I, I didn't just have a chunk sitting on the side. So anyway, we went over there and um, my goal while I was over there, was just to meet him and also like I'm fanboying out and like I'll be the first to admit like how big of a fanboy of Shepard Fairy <laughs> am because I owe so much to him, you know? But anyway, me and Nick went to the show. It was on a Saturday evening, I think. Started at like seven well, we got in at seven. It started at eight. And um I told Nick, I was like, my only goal is to like get advice from him. Mm-hmm. Even even if it's just like one question. And I had my, my question ready because I'd been thinking about it like the whole trip there yeah, and a yeah, few yeah, days yeah. before. And um, anyway, Nick and I hung out the entire time. Eventually, like people kind of let out at the very end. Shepard DJed it. And I, I quickly met him. At one time, he shook my hand and said he liked, he really liked a piece. And, but he had a lot of stuff going on. So Nick and I just hung out in the background till the end. Um, and at the end, he was on his way out. And Nick was like, dude, you better go now. So I like called him and said, like, hey man, I know you're like rushing out. Like he literally had his like messenger bag on, like he was walking out the door. And I was like, hey man, I'm sorry, just like real quick, I just gotta ask you. And I had my question ready for him, which was to paraphrase, like, any advice 
that he had for new artists, like trying to find their way. And dude, to this day, like, I mean, granted, it's only been a year, but that advice was so real and so applicable that it just, I was so nervous about meeting him because they say, like, not to meet your heroes. Mm-hmm. Hands down, one of the most humble guys I've ever met. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, like, in that moment talking to him, I forgot how massive he was. And like, wow, this is a real person, mm-hmm. a really nice person that's like taking the time to give me this little peon, like some really good <laughs> advice. Anyway, long story short, we talked for about 10 or 15 minutes and uh, we were able to stay in touch. And um, throughout the last year. So uh, you asked him a question mm-hmm. and he gave you 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. On his way out the door. Yeah, like I felt bad like for like <laughs> keeping him there. But it was like straight up some of the most real advice I've ever been given. And I couldn't have asked for anything better. And dude, that just like ignited me. I was like, I can't wait to get back. And so anyway, like um, I told Nick on the flight back, he's like, so what you going to do now, man? Like what you, you know, I see you're pumped up. And being over there in L.A., I felt like I was home. Like I, lo- I love Louisiana. It is home. Mm-hmm. But. I've never felt like I meshed really well with it. You know what I mean? And I never even considered I'd be leaving because my wife's really close with her family and I was never going to ask that of her. But anyway, um, he asked me what I was going to do and I was like, I'm going to have my first show this year. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, like I'll probably just, I was like I'll probably put it on myself. I don't know. We'll see. But like, that's going to be my goal for 2018. Granted, this is at November, 2017. So, um, yeah, man. So, like, the last year has just been me. I started screen printing again. I did, I'm trying to think, I don't know, six or seven screen prints this year. Um, and I, I organized two shows. I had my, through that show with Shepard, I linked up with a buddy of mine at, uh, well, he's now a buddy. Shout out to Cody uh, <laughs> at uh, One by Run, uh, One Time Run, I'm sorry. And, um, his friend was in that same show. He was one of the artists. They got the picks. Yeah. Okay. And Cody came across my work and asked me if he could present it to like the board at the company at one time run that he works at. What is what is one time run? So it's onexrun.com. They're a company that basically they will do drops with artists where they're like really big. They've done stuff with Shepard. They've done stuff with Mab Graves. They've done stuff with all kinds of people. They basically go to artists and they team up for a drop mm, and okay. so they put it on their site they handle all the shipping everything else the artist just like supplies the files and the originals if there's any originals but cody was like hey man i want to put your name up for like a new artist deal I was like okay cool um yeah he's like don't get your hopes up though i was like no man not at all i'm just stoked like some i never even met i still haven't met cody this day we talk on the phone every <laughs> once in a while and online he's like yeah i don't want to get your hopes up this isn't even my area but like I want to put your name up mm-hmm. and he's on the tech side of things. He does things similar to you. He's on the back end of the website. Okay. And he's like, yeah, like sounds I said, like a great guy. Yeah, dude. He's out. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not even a part in these decisions, but I'd love to put your name up for the new artist curation. I was like, cool. And dude, one thing led to another, there were some bumps here and there, but, um, eventually like, he's like, dude, you're in, we're going to do this drop here and there. Sweet. And, um, that's when we did the, um, what I called the year yearbook diptych was my first drop with them. It was um, that hall monitor with the skull. Yeah, so it's- this one is, I remember whenever I first, when you first posted the hall monitor one, I like, I like loved it right when I saw it. Like, <laughs> I literally like laughed whenever I saw it because it's just like, 
it's it looks awesome first of all it looks super cool <laughs> it's super edgy but then also just like the, there was like a comical aspect to it of yeah. a hall monitor with an assault rifle right walking down and i guess again like you mentioned earlier some of the liberal aspects progressive aspects of what the genre that you're in what you're doing is like especially in louisiana right right it's like seeing that it's kind of it was well timed and and I thought it was kind of funny and it looks amazing. So thanks, man. So that was the so there's two pieces to that, right? And yeah, yeah. That's what was in. And honestly, like that drop with one by run, um, is right up there with meeting Shepard and getting that advice from him as far as influential moments. Because first of all, seeing somebody that I had never met before put their faith into me, mm-hmm. and then see it like flourish because it sold out. I mean, I think there's, I think it sold out at the moment. I think one came back. And so there's like one left of the graduate, which is the accompanying piece, Sumakum Survivor. Yeah. The graduate in a bulletproof vest. Um and like his his graduation gown. But like I want to have my work be topical. And unfortunately with this year with all the school shootings and everything, and also just like the way the way politics are, like yeah. I've had a lot of subject matter. Yeah. Um which, you know, it's, it's good for me to be able to, to speak on these things, but it's unfortunate these things, you know, this is the world we live in. Right. But, yeah, uh, it's funny because, so that, that picture you're talking about, it's named Detention, mm-hmm. and it's a guy in military garb um, with a sash that says hall monitor, and he's got, like, he's got like a, a rifle, but he's got a skull for a face. Yeah. What is the, not to cut you off. No, no, no. We we got to swing back around to the skull stuff. Cause yeah, I yeah. Ask you about that. Go ahead with the hall monitor. Then. Well, the whole point of that was um, I'm not good at articulating what I think about certain topics with my words. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get better, and I've been putting on, and I have gotten somewhat better, but I've discovered that it's much easier for me to put things in into into images, and so that came about whenever all the talk about arming teachers mm-hmm. started coming up. Mm-hmm. And really, what was so interesting was seeing both sides of it. And I like making work that sometimes it's on the nose. Don't get me wrong. But the craziest thing with this, what, like I said, the yearbook diptych, the um, detention, the hall monitor, and then the summa cum survivor, the graduate, the craziest thing is that I have people on both sides of the argument <laughs> that love it. Yeah. And I, and I love that that's the case because... I think that interpretation shows what your inner thought really is. Right. Whenever you're not given a description of something and you just tell me, oh, it looks like this, this, and this, I'm like, cool. Well, you probably align that way right. because that's what it's pulling out of you. The whole Rorschach thing, I guess. Yeah, very similar, you know. Yeah. Um, In a much more specific and much uh, graphically better way. Right, right. Because I remember asking you at one point something along those lines of... Um, of like, what were you thinking about whenever you did this thing? And it was like one of the, I don't even remember what thing it was that you uh-huh. did. But then, but you kind of said, uh, I don't know, what do you think about it? Right, right. Which I was like, oh, interesting. Because I guess like the cliche thing is you ask an artist what they were thinking when they made this piece. And then 10 minutes later, they finish their explanation yeah, yeah. or whatever. But yours was, what do you think? Which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, you said earlier about how subjective art is. Like, I think that's the best thing because like, it doesn't have to mean the same thing to me as you, you know? And that's fine. Like, that's my favorite thing about America is that the fact that we can have different opinions. I think the issue is whenever we start thinking ours are, like, my ability to have an opinion is more important than your ability yeah. to have opinion because right. you're wrong. Right. 
And don't get me wrong, there are a bad person because you're wrong. Right. And there are some things that are black and white. Absolutely. But um with the hall monitor, it was um when they started talking about arming teachers, it was interesting seeing both sides of it. Because um especially being here in the South, uh everyone loves their guns and loves everything else, and that's fine. Like my whole point of bringing attention to that was there is an issue with school shootings. What are we going to do to fix that? Mm-hmm. And if you deny that there's an issue, you're wrong. Like, there isn't kids are dying in schools. That is an issue. So how are we going to solve it? And um, personally, I wasn't a fan of arming teachers. Mm-hmm. And so that image is actually just showing, like, an angel of death haunting the halls, basically, um, parading as protection. And the thing is, the intent behind behind arming teachers the intent is good. The intent is to keep kids safe. But people have different opinions on whether or not that actually would be the case, you right. know? And so, um, yeah, I, I love seeing people's opinions on yeah, that, you I'm know? Yeah, sure. That's because I think, uh, yeah, because, like, I guess I remember all of this, the arming the teachers thing and all everybody was talking about and, and the things that people were saying. And then, of course whatever like the the they try to boil it down to like they try to boil it down to black and white yeah like and it's not man to the gun and the person and whatever else and then uh i know like me personally i mean if you have uh like if i was to uh think about the issue Mm -hmm. i would think that you would want some security in these places that currently have no security right so these people aren't sitting ducks you Mm -hmm. know but then, and so arming the teachers thing, I can understand a perspective, that perspective. Right. Of course, we don't want to arm all the teachers. Uh, but I can understand having like, hey, maybe we should have a security guard with a gun at the school. Mm-hmm. But then like seeing that piece with a guy who with a skull face and an assault rifle, it definitely does open up the, uh, it, it definitely did bring some more perspective to how ridiculous it might be. And I mean, to, like dump more guns into schools. I mean, aside from like the financial standpoint and the taxing that would go into that and even the preparation and the training, like there's plenty of aspects that we could talk about. But, you know, the point of all of my work, at least the intent of it, is for people to step outside of themselves and look at the issues. And the thing is, if you do that and you still agree with what you thought initially, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But at least you know you tried to look at it objectively. And that was the point of my entire show. My first solo show was in November. It was called Don't Believe the Hype, based on Public Enemy song. And the whole point of it was, you know, this tribal mentality that America has on both sides of the issue. People will bandwagon just for the sake of being on the same side as people that they like. For sure, 100%. And the thing is, like, it's so unfortunate because there are some issues that people bandwagon on. And, like, they're, in my opinion, they're right about stuff. But... Some of those people don't actually, like, they just want to be a part of that movement as opposed to knowing why. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I said, that's both sides. Mm-hmm. And so my whole, like, point of that show was to show, um, like, have your opinions be your own because you've stepped out of yourself and reassessed them. And the thing is, most people, I can't say most, a lot of people don't want to critique themselves. Because if you allow yourself to look at yourself objectively, you are considering the idea you might be wrong. Yeah. 
and people do not like right. doing that. This is this is something that I because I'm I do like to consume a lot of political uh-huh. uh, a lot of the political uh, podcasts, news articles, yeah. current events, all that stuff. Um, and that it's that's I guess where it's the easiest to point out mm-hmm. or to see whenever people don't want to consider that they might be wrong, right? And um, and I think that's a like it's it's always easy to look at somebody else rather than look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I guess like uh, along with the is is most of the stuff that you like have done want to do. Does it have like political undertones, or is that something that just interests you? more than other things or yeah or I'm, even is that or even is the genre that you're kind of in doesn't it lean lend itself to that a little more oh yeah i mean you know i don't I'm, I'm not a street artist i don't put stuff on the street i'm inspired by things on the street and aesthetically mine can be compared to you know people like shepherd and you know even even like banksy and things like that like those are my sources of inspiration um and all of my work's political. It's just not all completely on the nose. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is from issues that, you know, I see and that I kind of want to comment on and also just see what, like we said, people, you know, everybody else does. But yeah, I mean, all the work recently has been political. And the thing is, whether that be U.S. politics or even um, sociopolitical issues like social media integration and, you know, the damage that that does mm-hmm. along with that tribe mentality and that bandwagoning um yeah all of it has been and whether you know the in my opinion the yearbook stuff was on the nose well more blatantly obvious that it was political Mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't exactly clear what side which is you know that's that's that was my favorite part about it right um and like you and i having this conversation now i'm telling you my my point of view right um but yeah everything else has been because for so long i wasn't involved with politics at all, even being aware of it. Um, you know, back when, like I said, my school days, um, putting myself through and, and waiting tables at night, I didn't really like take the time to think about anything else. I was just trying to survive, I was trying to survive and get out of school and move on with my life, you know? And it wasn't until, um, I started working at my first agency, um, doing a lot of political work that I didn't necessarily align with, um, but also I hadn't like really taken the time to consider what I believe. Mm-hmm. And through there, I kind of realized eventually I left there great people over there. And, and that's part of the reason that like, I know that there are good people on both sides of any argument mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, yeah, I think that's become a huge issue lately. Cause like I said, I like to listen to and keep a finger on the pulse of the political yeah. atmosphere, which, um, uh, it seems like a lot of people don't do that or don't like to do it but i think more people than you think actually yeah. do pay attention um but yeah that's been something especially since like trump got elected for yeah. instance that's been it's been if you don't agree with me you're a bad person right. type thing which is i mean once that happens you can't there's no more debate it's, right it's literally just i'm good and you're bad you're right. and then that would be like me saying thomas your art is terrible right <laughs> instead of, instead of saying like I can see why some people might like it and some people, yeah. might, you know, it loses the, it loses any sort of common ground, mm-hmm. any sort of debate. It becomes very black and white, which I'm kind of like a black and white person on most things, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And I've been told by my wife, just <laughs> not scared to offend me. Um, but they're definitely, you have to have the perspective and, and like see, you, like you said earlier, you have to be collaborative, mm-hmm. not just in your work, but in your thoughts as well, yeah. because you have to bounce ideas off of other people. And 
I kind of see, um, I kind of am discovering talking with you that you bounce ideas off of other people that you can talk with, but then you bounce your ideas off of the canvas right? and then put it out there for people to see. And then you get feedback on it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, kind of what you're talking about, like collaboration with other people, it extends to people that are barely involved in politics at all because like I started breaking down like, okay, well, I believe this and this person believes this and I don't agree with them, but I started like breaking down the idea of like, well, they really believe this Mm -hmm. and they don't believe that just to be against me. So when I started like putting myself in their shoes, like let's use the gun issue, Mm -hmm. for instance, Armin teacher, I'm not for it, but you know, you and I are talking about right here from your standpoint, protecting kids. That's why you're saying it's an option. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad idea protecting kids. Right. Which is what you and I agree on is protecting kids. Now, how to go about that, you know, that's that's the question right now. But, you know, there are there are only a handful of people that I think are just inherently evil. Mm -hmm. Most people, back to that tribe mentality, just think that because the areas they're in believe this thing. Like, how could it be wrong? Everybody around me believes this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to put too much thought into it because, well, they already probably did. When in reality, those people are doing the same thing. The people before them. Yeah. Yep. And people, here's what everything like this last year has boiled down to. People confuse tradition with things that are right. Mm. Sometimes they line up. Mm-hmm. But... Slavery was tradition for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't just because like that's wh- how things are doesn't mean like that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, even even going back to like the founding fathers and how they set things up. And a lot of people, you know, when the Constitution's brought up and like our rights and whatnot, I just feel like p- things aren't revisited enough. Mm-hmm. And that's not even to mean to change them right away. But like, I think even if you're absolutely confident in what you believe. You should periodically, objectively look at yourself. Yeah. Even if you're 100% sold, just to make sure you still are. Right. Because who knows what you could have learned in between them, and maybe you saw a perspective you didn't know before, you know? Right. I think the humanity side of things has really been taken out of U.S. politics, as, as far as, like, at the very local level, and as far as... Well, know, I, think that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues about politics now is that it's not local enough, Mm -hmm. is that everything for the past, since I've really been paying attention, which I'm only 30, almost 30, but um, everything is top down for the most part. Everything comes from the president or or the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And not very many people know who like their local representatives are. Not many people read the local news. Which is where they can actually affect change. Exactly, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody tries to yell at the top, Right. And make the top change everything below. Right. But that doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, the same people, exactly like you're saying, on both sides, the same people yelling about the big issues aren't showing up to the polls. Mm-hmm. You know? And don't get me started on that because, like... <laughs> we've I've, turned... We've taken a hard yeah, turn to politics. Even, even, the, even, like, the voting system is incredibly flawed from the top down. Like, in this day and age, we can all vote... For the next American Idol instantaneously from the comfort of our couch. But you got to jump through all these freaking hoops to make sure you're registered to vote and this and that. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely definitely a tech aspect that needs to be. I can't believe we haven't like researched that more. That's the top down thing because whenever you have. 
first of all, whenever you have the government trying to do anything, I mean, 98% of the time, it's not going to happen. And right. if it does happen, it takes forever. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you have to do something big like that, you, and then try to do it from the top down, because that would be a federal government right. thing, then inherently it's going to be yeah. and slow. You, you know, that's a great point, because you and I haven't really talked specific politics. And to be honest, I only have those conversations with people that want to. I'm not about to argue with anybody. So the difference between me and other people is I don't care if you believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. I want to share it with you, and I want to see if you want to believe that. But I don't get any personal satisfaction out of swaying someone. Mm -hmm. Because my beliefs are my own, your beliefs are your own. But I assume from our conversations, you lean more libertarian in aspects, mm -hmm. right? As mm -hmm. far as your, your thoughts on the government. Yeah, things definitely, like that. definitely. And I totally agree with some aspects of that. I'm definitely more independent than anything. That's how I'm registered. And that's typically how I approach concepts. But like my issue, and so like what you just said about the government not being able to handle it. And, you know, uh, from what I've gathered, a very libertarian view is that the government shouldn't have their hands in anything. Almost nothing, yes. And the thing <laughs> is, I agree that our government doesn't. But the, what, I would con what I would contrast that with is saying, I want to help make our government the kind that we want mm -hmm. to help control things. Because right now, absolutely not. I mean, the government, it's made of people which are imperfect. Mm -hmm. But it, like my goal would be to make it a better system for us, as opposed to just throwing it away. Mm -hmm. Now... Will I ever see that in my lifetime to the extent that I like? Probably not, <laughs> you know, but it's my it's my duty to myself and also, you know, whoever comes after to try and get things in motion to where you and I can make a better world for whoever's next, mm -hmm. you know, but I just don't think there's enough communication between everybody, you know. I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think I think probably um, as far as making the better world um, argument not argument, mantra, I guess, mission. Um, I think if you ask probably anyone that everyone would say, yeah, well, yeah. except for those few evil people you mentioned before. Right. Um, and then, and then, but I guess, yeah, more from libertarian type thinking is that, um, I don't think that the government will be able to make, no. make the better world thing. And that, that's why right. I think like, um, you know, what should the government have its hand in? Voting, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it has to. And not, not like it should have more of a role. I just feel like it should be fixed. Right. But I agree, like, I, I'm i not going to sit here and act like all that stuff's going to be fixed. Because right. it's not. Yeah, for sure. But if I don't at least attempt to do my part, what else am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Am I just going to sit here and, like, bitch and complain? Mm -hmm. Like, at the very least, it gives me motive and it gives me inspiration and it gives me something to work towards, you know? Mm -hmm. But I'm not some, like, fairy tale believer where I think that things are going to just miraculously be fixed. Right. Because I don't think they are. I just think they should be better for more people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see that for sure. I think the whole, I think the whole fixing thing is, again, the top-down, is, like, the whole top-down Yeah. Thing, you know, people, because a lot of people, mainly on, like, the left nowadays, mm -hmm talk about you know we need the health care and we need the education and we need the help the poor people mm -hmm. and like we need to do all this and that um but like every time they list off this thing that we need to do or fix it's like it's the way to do that if you're going to do it mm -hmm. it's always going to be from the top down yeah instead of if you instead of trying to empower people to act do their own thing mm -hmm. have their own opinions and act accordingly 
without restriction right. from the top down, then they can work to make their own lives better and the people around them mm-hmm. lives better. Um, and then that would change the, that would change the temperature of what's happening. Yeah. Because when people, it's, it's like people really only mainly care about themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably, I mean, I would say I mainly only care about myself. It's a survival thing. Right? I mean, that's ingrained in, in a family. Right. Um, but, and then whenever you can pursue what you want to pursue and you don't have interference from other people, then you're able to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then as you do that, you're able to help the people around you right. accomplish what they want to accomplish instead of yelling at p- other people you don't know about how to fix their problems right. that you think they have, but they might not actually have. Mm-hmm. And then that's, and that's kind of like what I see happening way too much in politics is you have this problem, fix it. And then the other person says, you have this problem, fix it. And then everyone says, the country has this problem, and, yeah. and I know how to fix it. You don't. So few people are offering solutions, though. You know, the exactly. left, the left exactly. and the right want to yell about stuff. Yep. And it's always like, let's use education and insurance and healthcare as an example. Lots of people want to argue, like we're talking about that bandwagon mentality. Mm-hmm. You got high school, excuse me, college kids want to jump on the super left approach to things just because it's cool and hip sometimes with the people around them. And want to, you know, say universal health care, this and that, which are ideas that I think would be awesome. But nobody's, none of those kids are offering solutions. They just want to, and I'm all for protesting. I think either side, like that's part of our rights. Like that's what I love about this I'm country. All, I'm all against protesting. Really? <laughs> no, I'm all against protesting just because I think it's totally pointless. And see, but I don't I disagree from like yeah. a finite standpoint. You're, you don't disagree from the practical standpoint. I think we both agree that you should, it's 100% it's good to do it. You should be able to. I just like the, hum, the human side you of like it. You like seeing it happen. I like people. So the fact that there's no tangible effect. Yeah. It's not like. Now, I'm not saying blocking roads and stuff like that. Right, of course. I we, mean, don't wanna, like, we don't want to do illegal things. I mean, like, public displays. Yeah. Like, marches and things like that. I love that because of how, quote-unquote, pointless they are. Mm-hmm. In the sense of, like, doing that, like, say we have a million people do a march or something. You don't get to a certain amount of people, and it's like, okay, you got enough people? You guys <laughs> get it. You You get what you wanted. Yeah. Because it doesn't have that, that's what I love, because it's, like, it's such a human thing. It's like, this isn't going to directly change something, but we want to present our point. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about like peaceful protesting. Like I'm not, I'm not talking about things like, yeah, whenever you get into rioting and hurting other people, that's like, well, you're doing way more harm than you definitely lost the point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I think so many people want to, want to say what the problems are and not fix it, Mm -hmm. you know, or excuse me, not offer solutions Mm -hmm. and also talk about problems that can't be fixed honestly you know but everything you're saying i agree with in the sense of like too many people are looking at the huge overarching things without deciding like okay well i can't change what the white house does but i can vote at the local bank Mm -hmm. for my school board member i can vote for whoever's going to senate like i can do that right where the popular vote's a lot more important but, you know, people think that they're doing their part just by spouting hate on Facebook. Yeah, that's you know, the most hilarious. Resharing a post that they haven't verified right. and they haven't fact-checked both sides. Right. You know, and I think social media has done so much for integrating people and bringing everybody together. 
but it's also provided a wall for people to not have the hum the human side of a conversation where they have to be responsible for what they say. Right. You and I talking right now, we both got respect for each other. Mm -hmm. We don't agree with everything. You and I are still really good friends, though, because we're not friends because of our political alignment. We're right. friends because we respect each other. Right. Online spewing hate, there's no personal interaction. And I think that liability is gone. I, I'm a firm believer in anything that I post online, I have to be comfortable yelling it from the front door mm -hmm. to anybody walking by. And I don't think everybody's like that. I definitely agree with that. Both sides. I think it's 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 really easy to, yeah, I mean, it's really easy to just throw stuff out there yeah. and have no responsibility for it. And before there was Facebook, if you did that, then somebody would just say, oh, you're an idiot. Right. Or like, if you say something insane, somebody might, mainly people would not listen to you, mm -hmm. which actually has, still happens on social media. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're posting Block, stupid unfollowed. stuff, yeah, people are not reading what you're posting on social media. Dude, my unfollow list is like hundreds deep on really? Facebook. <laughs> it's funny because like anytime I see something that like, I don't get on Facebook to get aggravated. Yeah. I get on Facebook to see how my friends' lives are. Right. See and, the cool stuff. Yeah. And if there's a few instances where I'm just like, oh man, like this is, <laughs> like I don't get on here to get bummed out. Unfollow. Unfollow. Some people, though, some people feed off of that. I know, dude. Some people love just, it. Just like troll mentality. They just it's love the it. It's the strangest thing, man. It is. It's weird. I try to think of like what happens when like, the world ends and like what's left. And f first of all, artists are gone immediately. And I've never, <laughs> I'm chasing that type of thing all the time. Like when it comes down to survival, the artist the is first to gone. be gutted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cut the artist. We don't need uh, uh, farmers. Y'all are back on top, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, social media, man, it's done a lot of good, but it's done. So it's done a lot of bad. And it's funny because I've talked to a lot of people and I'll be interested to see your point on this. A lot of people are like, oh, things are worse than they've ever been. Mm. And I don't believe they are. I believe that we see more than we've ever seen. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing about social media. Like I said earlier, if you think something 50 years ago, you say it. Or you, if you're lucky, you have an article in the newspaper about it. Mm -hmm. And then a, like a few people, especially if you don't have any articles in the newspaper or radio show 50 years ago, like your friends hear it and that's it. Right. And, and, but now... You have 2,000 followers on Instagram and you put something out there or you have 100 followers on Instagram and you put something out there, all those people see it. Yeah, and absolutely. And so it's like, and then, you know, if you think about another thing too is like there's 7 billion people in the world, right? Just think about like a, a room of 100 people. It's like not that many people, but then 100 people is actually, that's like a, a, a large number of people. Mm -hmm. Out of that 100 people, how many of those people legitimately are crazy? Right. Or like, just think something insane. Like, Very just few. does not line up with, yeah, but out of 100 people, there's guaranteed to be at least one. Right. And then if you think, if you have 2,000 followers or friends on a social Multiply media. Multiply that network, ratio by Exactly. That. It's just like, yeah, the, the whole megaphone thing is amplified. But yeah, I totally disagree with it's worse than it's ever been before. And I, I often wonder and have the thought internally as I'm listening to political mm -hmm. commentators or podcasts or or things like that, I often have the thought, uh, mainly along with like the, the whole Trump, the last two years, the Trumpian years mm -hmm. or whatever, and how a lot of people are, like he's literally making a lot of people act insane uh, on both sides. I have the thought a lot, like has this ever happened before? Like, and not just in America, but yeah. in other places. So there is the, I have the thought of, um, 
history repeating itself dude time how, is how cyclical. effective is that yeah i remember uh, how uh how real is that i think it's very real absolutely but then also like there's been i know um steven pinker is a guy who's um I don't know what his actual profession is. He's like somewhat famous, mm-hmm. but he's been writing recently about how legitimately by the stats, by the book, which I'm a very, I'm a very stats. Like I like the facts and, yeah, and yeah. things records. He's right. He's written the book on the facts of how it actually is way better today than at any point in mm-hmm. history for not just Americans, but for the entire world. Right. Like over the past, like 30 years, something like people in abject poverty mm-hmm. has like, been cut in half or something wow. like that i don't, don't double check my facts, no 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 but... yeah nothing on here nobody fact check this <laughs> yeah, is all, don't this fact is check all paraphrasing but if you google it um you know you can get the actual numbers but it's insane things like that and mm-hmm. then of course you know people living in america now are literally the richest and freest of any body in the history of human right. race i mean um you know you you would not want to live in medieval, medieval europe or in uh the renaissance or in ancient rome or yeah whatever. man it's i mean like think people... about modern medicine that we have now right. think about you know and granted the access to that can be debated but you know for instance like brooke and i are moving to la right so we're we're researching neighborhoods and we're narrowing it down to where we want to live i'm looking at crime rates i'm looking at right, everything yeah. from you know crime rates to parking to rent that's kind of what i'm looking yep. at i don't care where we live as long as it's safe and as long as brooke feels comfortable being outside mm-hmm. you know so anyway, like I'm, for instance, I, there's you know there's all these crime maps you can look at, mm-hmm. and um, I went to one and it was in a town, an area of town that, from what I had heard, wasn't great, mm-hmm. but they had a really good price on an apartment. So I was I was checking it out. Well, sure enough, the crime rate was just like burglary, burglary, <laughs> like um, grand theft auto, this, 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 you know, break in. And I was like, man, like that's and it, it was within like a few blocks. Wow, it was a ton. But granted, that was over a span of time. Like, that wasn't all just that day. And, you know, it got me thinking, like, if I lived in that neighborhood, you know, there's, like, neighborhood Facebook sometimes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I know Mid-City has one, and I pop in every once in a while to see what people are saying. You know, if something was stolen or keep an eye out for this or, hey, somebody needs to cut the grass. I was thinking, like, man, if I was in that neighborhood, that would be my life seeing all that crime constantly. And I'd probably tell myself, like, man, this place is garbage. Right. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. But then when I zoomed out, you see those dots everywhere. Yep. And it's like, it's all about your perspective, man. You know? And I think that goes more today than ever because, like I said, we see more than we've ever seen as the public. Before, we only relied on newspapers. We, we only relied on the local and global news. Mm-hmm. Now, I can have one guy, like... Joe Rogan's not incredibly political on his podcast, but for instance, him or any other podcast that you listen to, if you really like their opinion, you could hear everything you want to hear, mm-hmm. even if that's how shitty things are. Mm-hmm. And um, I totally think people have lost sight of the scale that we have now, mm-hmm. because things are bad. They've always been bad, yeah. though. Really bad. Yeah. A lot worse than they are now. <laughs> but thanks to Instagram and Facebook and fear-mongering and hyper-biased news, I mean... It's too much static, you know. Right. I have a few news sources that I go to, but even that I take with a grain of salt. What is the? What is your thought on the news stuff? Because I have an opinion on the hyperbiasness of the news, but I so instance, maybe be more specific in your question. For I instance, I love I, I want news to be biased uh-huh. because because <laughs> that's how you align because that's why you go there, right? Because people are biased. Mm-hmm. It's like if you don't have a graph 
and if you don't have numbers stating things that happened, uh-huh. then it's going to be biased. Like that's mm-hmm. the only way to be completely non-biased mm-hmm. in reporting. And no one does that. I, I mean, I'm all of the news outlets, best I can tell, all are all going to lean one way or the other. So why not just? It would be great to know, for instance, like I know Fox News leans right. Mm-hmm. I know CNN leans left. All right. Okay. So now I can go listen to both and then figure exactly. out what I want. Figure out, I can extract the facts from it. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that all news is biased. All people are biased. Right. And that's like, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, inherently bad. Are we, we just like running over? I was checking the time. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm rambling. No, but this is good, man. I'm right, enjoying this. Sure. Um, no, I think all news is biased in some way or another. Um, back to what you were saying, I'd love if I could just have a black and white <laughs> Times New Roman feed mm-hmm. of just bloop, bloop, bloop of things going on so I could judge for myself. But I do the same thing. I have newsletters that I'm subscribed to that are uh, described as unbiased, but... And for the most part, they are. But every once in a while, there's a little hint here and there. It's like, okay, well, that's why I'm reading this, because yeah. I align, obviously. Um, but when it comes to a lot of news, man, I think it's important to take away the accents and take away the people saying them and really listen at just what's happening and then decide for yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I don't think enough people do that. I think people align with celebrities, even if that's news celebrities. And they think, oh, this person did this. and this person says this, and I agree for myself because they've already thought it out. Why should I think about it again? Yeah. I think one interesting thing, kind of along these lines, but somewhat of a pivot in direction here. Um, you mentioned, like, or, or earlier we were talking about the um, opinions of people and the progressive and blah, blah, blah. Um, and one thing that I saw recently that I thought was super interesting, or a video that I saw recently was... Like we're millennials mm-hmm. and there's been a whole lot in the last couple of years of people, for instance, like Twitter mobs, like, you know, the whole thing like, oh, you're being offensive or mm-hmm. this is really offensive. You should lose your job. because Like you're... political correctness. Right. That whole thing. And then um, and then like with a lot of the recent things coming out with uh, like the whole Me Too thing mm-hmm. and then how that's. A lot of people then were using that to be like, if you hold the door open for a woman, that's sexist mm-hmm. and stuff like that. An interesting thing that I saw recently was that the generation under us, uh, or a couple down, I don't remember, but like they're currently like 13 to 16 mm-hmm. year olds type thing. Like um, early 2000s babies. Right. They have their, um, and they're uh, this, uh, are you on the social media app TikTok? Or do you know? God, no. Uh, okay. Exactly. I, so that's like a younger but thing. But I've, I've seen clips on Instagram in my Explore feed. Right. And stuff, so I know what it is. Is that the singing like companion yeah. app? Yeah. The, like the 15 second video or yeah, seven yeah. second or whatever it is. Like lip syncing stuff. Right. Um, so that's like skewing really young mm-hmm. and all and kind of all the new social media apps skew young and then older people jump on. But if you like put your finger on Twitter right now, it's really left leaning. Mm-hmm. If you put your finger on TikTok right now, it's really right leaning. Really? Like people, like the the younger kids are doing little video skits and making uh-huh. jokes. Obviously, there's a whole wide range of people on the app, but there's a big chunk of them who are making kind of like the stereotypical old school type jokes where uh, it's politically incorrect. Uh-huh. More raunchy kind right. of and like edgy but, stuff. But really kind of is more aligned in sanity rather mm-hmm. than this, the recent 
in I in my opinion, insane opinions of how you have to be politically correct and never offend anyone. Uh-huh. These kids y- younger than us are again the pendulum swinging back to their side. They're purposely being offensive uh-huh. to bust up the PC like cu- almost culture, like shock and cringe kind yeah. of approach. To which change. is kind of uh, like some video that I saw, which was I thought was pretty interesting. Um, because I I didn't I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, I've heard that about Twitter. I'm actually not on Twitter. Me neither. I've had I think when I was doing Stay True, I had an account, and I probably have an account on there. Yeah. But I don't. Um, I never like understood Twitter. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I know what it is. It's just shouting back and forth, basically. It just never like I never saw the utility for myself. Yeah. I never saw the utility of Instagram until I realized you could connect with an, a specific audience. Yeah. Because I didn't have it for the longest time. Uh, Facebook was always local. That was always, you know, mm-hmm. I keep Facebook for my family and friends. And one guy on my Facebook page, shout out to David, <laughs> one of my favorite collectors. Um, I've told him before, I was like, dude, you're, you're like the only reason I push stuff to, to Facebook because you don't have an Instagram. Nice. Uh, get on Instagram, David. Yeah, get on Instagram. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I agree as far as um, it's strange seeing the different social medias, how like they attract different crowds and things like that. As far as the political correctness, um, I'm of the opinion that, like, I should, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I don't, you, you must, now you must be politically correct in your response about political correctness. Well, the thing is, like, don't mess up right here. I, <laughs> I think is, like, I know exactly my approach to that. And my approach to it is my interaction with you, if you don't want me to say something to you, I'm cool with that. I don't care. I have other stuff to do. Like, if you want me to call you by a certain pronoun, once again, I don't care. I'll Like, my interaction with you is this quick. If you want me to call you whatever, I don't care. Now, as far as offending people, I think that people should be allowed not to offend people, but to correct themselves. Mm. In In some cases. That's not applicable throughout. You know what I'm saying? Um but yeah, man, when it comes to like political correctness, that's not something I've really like cracked into yet mm-hmm. as far as what I truly believe on it. I do believe that if I was offended by something, I would like people to um, consider why I'm being offended by it. But I, I'm not sure I would absolutely expect them to just do it for the sake of it, because if you start getting into things like we have free speech, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite things about this country unfortunately like a lot of hate speech can be grouped into that at times but you know my entire mentality on most everything is that we have some bigger issues to deal with and i'm not saying that in regards to being politically correct i just mean in general like people are dying people are starving to death like there are bigger things at play that i'm i'm concerned with and as far as like the local level and offending someone I don't ever mean to offend anybody. If you're offended by my opinion, that's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you by that. Yeah. But as far as like how you want me to interact with you, I'm a, I'm a loner in a lot of ways. Like I'm not really concerned. I, I, I don't find myself in positions where I can offend people because I'm concerned with other things mm-hmm. and I don't care enough to fight for what, like as far as like political correctness I don't know. It's such right a now, messy issue. I can't. Now. I can't put a stance on anything because I don't know. Yeah, I think that's. I think that you make are making good points about that for sure. And I think that uh, to kind of bolster my own opinion about what I stated earlier, I think what you're saying, p- 
plays into what I was saying earlier mm-hmm. about how no one has the same opinion on anything. Everyone no. has different opinions. Right. So how can we expect a big government to fix the problems from mm-hmm. the top down for everybody? Right. And so that's why I, was, I think that, you know, you have the, and I agree, free speech is essential for, and, and, and the USA has, is the only country that has free speech mm-hmm. in its, in its founding documents. And literally because of that, you're able to say whatever you want on social media, right. to in person and through your art. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like the, the right to offend someone mm-hmm. is 100, it should be 100% defended, mm-hmm. even if it's offensive. For and sure. I think there are like gauges. And, and I totally agree with you. You don't want to be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. Right, right. In, unless maybe it's on a large scale, mm-hmm. but definitely one-on-one, you don't want to. And, you know, I'm not commenting on the Me Too movement or anything to do with that, because like I said, I mean, I have my opinion on that, but I'm not I'm not interested in changing anyone else's opinion at this time, um, because, like, I don't know enough about any, uh, any like, like I said, as far as political correctness, there are some words that have been in our language for hundreds of years that I truly believe shouldn't be there anymore. Hundred uh-huh. percent, and I don't care like who argues like oh well people use this and call people this and that that's fine like I'm not out to offend anybody but I'm also not out to step on toes because I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for what I believe mm-hmm. and I hope that everyone else does that mm-hmm. I think that understanding is what's yeah, being lost you fight for it and then you have the mutual respect of, right you don't want to be offensive right just for the sake of being but, offensive I mean the but... way I live my life like. I'm not the guy that's going to put the bumper sticker on his jacked up <laughs> truck saying whatever. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because like, I don't live my life in a way that I think could offend anybody. And if I interact with somebody and I can judge the situation and see like how I need to interact with them that would make them comfortable, I'm going to do that because that's the extent of what I, th- I think that's the extent of the thought that I put into that interaction. Mm-hmm. And then I go about my day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't care about making people think I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Political correctness is um it's funny how big of an issue and a topic that is today. Mm-hmm. Um and I do believe, you know, there's I some- think it, I think yeah, I was sorry to cut you off. I think it's a it's a huge issue, but I think that it, there sh- there is and should be a super simple solution to it and it shouldn't exist. Uh-huh. Is that there should be no policing of language. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to say whatever you want whenever you want for whatever reason to anyone period. And, then, and I think that that would the people that want to tout the political correctness for whatever reason that they're doing it, I think are wrong. Mm-hmm. And possibly that could be the one issue that might border on me then labeling them as an actual bad person. I got you. Which you, which I don't really ever want to do, uh-huh. unless, unless they're like an actual the few evil people that you right before. Right. But when you do want to police some what someone's saying. For the sake of not being offensive or whatever, yeah. then that is that is literally you saying that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. For the and see serious on reasons. that point about you saying like you should be able to say whatever you want whenever you want. I don't disagree with that idea. I just think that what we should want to say is things that nobody could get offended with anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I guess, like yeah. I like I feel like but I think there's I think the I think if you have any idea that's worth anything. Then it's gonna offend someone, right? So I mean, possibly, yeah. Maybe you're not necessarily trying to offend. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, this but... is a great tangent back to my my work. Perfect. Because I try 
and I, I've taken this idea from Shepard and from other artists that I, I've, I really look up to. I like presenting inarguable facts. Uh, I, an emblem that I came up with this year was this little world peace icon. It's just a peace symbol with the, uh, the like a globe icon integrated into it. Um, and I have people all the time ask me what it is. I think <laughs> I forget that I'm a designer sometimes and like I made it so I know what it means, but not everybody does. Um, but like peace, I think peace is an inarguable concept. If you and I are talking and one of us says like, oh, I don't believe in peace. Like whether or not peace is obtainable is a totally different story. Right. But I do think people should work towards it because peace only helps everyone. Now, whether or not it's obtainable, whether or not it's realistic is a totally different thing. But the venture and the attempt at creating that, I think, is one that should be shared by all. Mm -hmm. I think I would, I'd agree. Probably most people do share it, um, even though I wouldn't venture as far to say that all people share it, mm -hmm. because I do think there are people in parts of the world who have the position of. And I'm if not saying everyone does. I'm saying, in my opinion, should, I think should. everyone should. Yeah, I totally agree. Because that is a human concept. Like, I think, like, as humans and as creatures, like, we should want to be able to live together. Because if you and I can live in peace, true peace, you and I are both happy with what we're getting. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's not always obtainable, but I think... The, I don't, yeah, it might not be ever attainable because there it might not has there ever been a part a, a period in human history where there's no wars going on. And you know what? Like that's the thing. Like regardless of whether or not it will ever happen, has ever happened, could ever happen, I think that 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 venture to do that is a noble one and one that can't be argued. With. Mm -hmm. That's something to actually work consistently work on and work towards. towards yeah. It's you know that, that stupid cliche thing. It's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, world peace is an idea that I think can't be argued with. And it all stemmed from those yearbook pieces because I don't think it can be argued, excuse me, that kids being unsafe is not good. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what side you're on, you and I can both agree that children being in danger is not good. Right. And if anyone disagrees with that, like... They're insane. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, we get into the specifics of it and we can both have, you know, points on exactly how we think that should come about. But, um, yeah, so I try to, I try to live an inarguable life in the sense of like, if you don't uh, agree with me politically, that's fine. Like, you don't have to, you know what I'm saying? I'm also not going to fight you about it. Mm -hmm. And the people that do want to fight me about it and say how wrong I am and this and that, that's their opinion. They're entitled to it. But this sentence, that I'm saying right now is the extent of what I care about that mm -hmm. and the extent of how much life of mine that takes up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even, even with the political correctness thing, like, okay, I encounter you and I say something offensive. I apologize. And I remember next time that that's offended somebody. So maybe it's not that important for me to say, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So are you ever, are you ever, are you ever worried about offending somebody with art? Uh, no, I hope I do because. So what's the difference? In those two. That's, a, that's an excellent point. The difference is that subjectivity. The intent behind words, because of the English language and language in general, like, there's very few ways things can be interpreted. For something like art, it's very much so take it or leave it. Like, if you don't like it, leave it. That's cool. But you subjected yourself to this experience, which is the difference between you and I talking, mm -hmm. if that me makes any sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That art just hangs on the wall, and you walk up to it. You and I walk up to each other. And I think we should share the respect 
to to keep each other like well it depends on, on the point of the conversation if the point of the conversation is arguing and that's one thing but if it's just you and i being friends you know right that's an excellent point you know <laughs> yeah and i think everything can be argued down you know right what is the um since we're slightly pausing <laughs> I, i'm curious about i mentioned earlier the skulls uh-huh. uh and speaking about offensive which I, I actually I do like offensive stuff because I think that it it pushes boundaries. Uh-huh. Um, and which, let me which let I think me is important. Let me just say a little I'm s- not saying that you don't like offensive stuff. No, no, no. I understand. What you're I would saying. just like to input that at this point in my career, being very, very, very green and very, very new to everything, and also being very green and new to politics in general, my ideas are changing. Mm. My ideas are evolving into what they're going to be. Because I've never taken the time before a few years ago to really become politically involved. Yeah. So I would just like to say that, like, you know, who knows where this is going? I'm, I'm more than anything open to learning, and right. that's what I'm doing right we now. We could definitely, we could definitely hit all of this again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in about two years on episode 500. <laughs> Chase Special. knows things. <laughs> Chase knows things now. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I was gonna say that. Oh, yes. On that point, uh-huh. I do think it's kind of funny whenever. Um, <laughs> I do think it's funny whenever somebody changes their opinion, especially a politician, they, they use that term flip flop, Uh but it's like, so, so people aren't supposed to evolve their ideas and like, you know, possibly take new positions Mm -hmm. based on new information. So yeah, I totally agree with that hundred percent. Um, and the issue with that is me sitting here talking with you. If I gave you hard points, like, no, this is Right. right. And you're wrong. And that comes back to bite me in the ass. That was my mistake to begin with, because what I should have said is currently, this is what I think. Yeah. You know, I haven't had any evidence to contradict that. If that evidence comes up, I'll reassess it. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. You were talking about flip flopping. Yeah. And the skulls thing, mm-hmm. which is what I was going to ask you about, because uh, I actually um, I want to say maybe it was my mom. I'm not totally sure. It might have been somebody else. Um who happened to be, we both happened to be looking at something, something that you did, or I, maybe I showed it to this person. Uh, but so I just, maybe that American flag or something. No, it was, oh, it, was okay. it was one of the pieces with a skull. Oh, okay. Cool. And uh, I was showing it to somebody. And I think it was an older, I think it was an older lady. I probably was my mom. I don't remember if it was my mom. Shout out to my mom. Shout out. Um, anyways, but she was like, Oh, this person was like, Oh, skull. And then said something to the effect of like, why is the skull on there? Or, Ooh, that skull is, I don't know. A lot of people relate skulls to like death uh-huh. and like all this negative whatever. Anyway, so then I was going to ask you about because you do use skulls a good bit. I've seen it across a few of your pieces. Yeah. Um. Uh. Where is that coming from? I guess. Okay, so I actually have an answer. For this. Oh, perfect. Um. So growing up, my dad, my dad was like very concerned with me growing up. He didn't want me to be like a delinquent. Yeah. And my dad he didn't a- want you to be a punk rocker. He didn't. Who made progressive art. He didn't, man. (laughs) And my dad's not incredibly politically, like, um, informed and also, like, adamant. Like, he's not going to argue with you about politics. He'll tell you what he thinks, but he's not going to change his opinion of your character based on your conversation, most likely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're just saying completely, you know, maybe, but generally. Anyway, so growing up, man, he didn't want me wearing black. Didn't want me growing out my hair. You know, when we were younger, like, People on baseball teams and stuff, dyeing their hair and stuff. Never let me do anything. And I wasn't on those teams, but friends would, you know, bleach their hair. Never. Didn't want me, you know, wanted me clean cut, you know, pants pulled up. 
And that's fine. Like, he wanted me to be that because he'd seen so many people that weren't that that he didn't want me to end up being. Mm -hmm. One of those things was he didn't like skulls. Didn't like them being on things. I didn't have clothes with skulls on them. And if I did, you know, I hid me listening to... (laughs) All of my musical influence comes from uh, a high school friend, Dexter. Shout out, Dexter. You're not listening to this, but what's up? Uh, And Dexter sold me an iPod. One of the original video ones. He sold me for 75 bucks because he had just gotten an iPhone or something. Anyway, it was loaded with punk music, man. And it just, like, it opened the door for me, like, that that was one of those stages we were talking about. So, anyway, like, when I got to college and I started doing my own thing, everything had skulls. (laughs) Because I was just, like, everything had skulls. I started wearing black. You don't. So, you're saying that you rebelled against your parents? I don't know if it was rebelling against them. It's just they they had siphoned this thing off for so long that it exploded. exploded and it yeah. was like, I'm going to get it out of my system, whatever. Yep. Never got out of my system. <laughs> but anyway, um, three years ago, I started really painting more when we got the studio. Um, and if you look three years ago, my work looks totally yep. different. A lot of colors, acrylics, not as many um, aerosols. It was more hand-painted stuff. I was studying cause, who's a big influence on me. Is that a person? Yeah, KWS. He was he's a huge um, like start to the graffiti movement in oh, New okay. York, and um, he does incredible. Is he work. one of these guys that you don't know their actual identity? No, no, you do. Brian Donnelly, I believe oh, it okay. is. Um, no, he. I mean, that was his pseudonym when he started. That was his street name. He gotcha. posted that up. That was what he put. But um, anyway, he's had like huge openings. He he. Did Kanye West's 808 and Heartbeats um, album in uh, artwork? Okay. He's done a lot of stuff. He's been around for a minute. But um, anyway, I was studying him and like uh, um, some other people, and I started painting skulls, but more like um, less like gruesome. And um, actually, Jordan Heffer, Heffler, excuse me, Heffler, a uh, local photographer here in Baton Rouge, is a good friend of mine. She purchased a piece that is a big five by four foot. Um, face and half of its skull is exposed and half of the skull is ex- is torn up and there you can see like an orb of energy where their their mind is but the skull's pink and the guy's face is green and the background's orange but when I started doing skulls a lot more I wanted to make sure there was purpose behind it because I didn't want to be 19 year old Thomas just like oh I'm gonna wear skulls they're cool you know right. And so I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, why do I like these so much? You know, like death, I don't like death, but death is imminent. Death death happens to all of us and everything, depending on how long it is. Like, it is a sure thing that you and I are going to die. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, what do they say? Death and taxes are the only yep, two like, guaranteed things. Only two guarantees in life. So anyway, I started thinking about that, and I liked that, that it was inescapable. And there's no point in acting like it didn't happen, and I think that should be fuel for living your life. Because that's coming. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a skull one day, and just a skull, you know? Mm-hmm. All the skin's going to melt away yeah, and I mean, rot away. Talk about motivations. I mean, that's a big motivator for us. Yeah, it's man. Like, like our lives are a meter that's just going down, you know? And eventually it's going to be the end. You don't know when that comes. But another thing that really attracted me to skulls is that you and I... When we rot away, our our bones are going to look not exactly the same. And even male and female, like, not everything's exactly the same. But black, white, Hispanic, female, male, 
um, you know, as opposed to a scientist or somebody that actually knows, all those bones are going to look the same. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be able to pull out a femur out of a pile of bones and be like, oh, this is this and this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, scientists would, but the point of it was that deep down, we're not very different at mm-hmm. all. It's just what, what fills that skull that makes things different. Cool. Yeah. They, they say that at some point in the future, probably not the too distant future that something like everybody's going to look the same anyway. It's like everybody's going to eventually yeah. become like a, 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 a brown type. Right. Right. Uh, Middle Eastern looking person because of people marrying and all that, yeah. which is interesting. I don't really know how accurate that is, but I heard it somewhere. No, I've heard similar things like in the distant future, like just because like in this day and age, like people are no longer separated. Right. Um, well, yeah, excuse me, travel, as but... much separated by limitations or even like who they love. Yeah. And so, yeah, through that intermingling, like, of everything else like yeah i've heard that before too yeah that's pretty interesting uh what what is that i also wanted to ask you about um uh one thing that again i thought was interesting was i asked you what you did what were you thinking when you did this and then you Mm -hmm. said what do you think about it what is your actual um first kind of initial process of like say you get a new idea about Uh something and then like what do you normally and i guess like I want to I want to explore the theoretical aspect of uh-huh. it uh, because there's a whole creative part of you who some people a lot of people will relate with, but then a lot of you know half the population won't relate with right, the creative right. part. But then also the practical stuff, like what you li- like actually sit down and do. Um, well, before I became like more politically like aware, it was all aesthetic choices, and it was all just like, hey, I think you know it'd be cool to show this. It wasn't as like deep, I guess. Now the way things happen is typically it'll be an event, something like, I mean, for instance, the school shootings incited something in me that it was like, well, I want to talk about this and I want to, I think that something should be done. So I want to contribute. And my way to contribute is by putting these images out there for people to consider maybe this is the mm-hmm. other way to go. So it usually starts with, with that. And then um, honestly, it's just, through researching the topic that I slowly start, you know, I look at what other people have done. I look at who's influenced me. I look at what friends have done. And, um, the initial stage is just deciding to comment on something. And then from there, it's what aesthetic approach do I want to take? And then it's great because after that point, I have what I call like the Frankenstein phase. And that's when I go back in and the more artistic side takes over. And I started adjusting values and maybe abstracting certain points and taking away this and that. So it all starts with like the initial cause, which is whatever event has happened or whatever um, thing I want to comment on. And then slowly that goes through its like machining state of figuring out exactly what's going to look. And then finally is the polishing and the more artistic approach to actually like you know, cleaning up the image or all my stuff's based on reference images, whether that be ones that I've bought or ones that I've seen elsewhere. What do you mean by that? Like, a well, like I'm take not a piece from something else and use it. And some, well, kind of. So like I'm trained as an illustrator from school and things like that. And like every other artist, I'll tell you, I grew up drawing a lot and drawing was my, my, my dad trained as a draftsman for a little bit and him and I would, I'd be a little kid and we'd sit at the kitchen table late at night and he'd draw plans for his shop that he was building and I'd draw Hot Wheels and things like that. <laughs> I never grew up in sports or anything like that. It was always cars. My dad was into cars and Harleys. Anyway, so um, yeah, I drew a lot 
But then when I started being influenced by other people, I'm no longer like a fire from the hip illustrator. Like if you give me a piece of paper and tell me to draw something, I can I can get it done. But there are way more talented people that can just whip up something incredible. Mine, everything I do is based on what I see. Mm. So if there's like, let's say, you know, one thing that I found from Shepard is um, his influence of old propaganda posters and images that have been used throughout time. I do that sometimes where I'll go back. I look at stuff like old um, Russian constructivist posters, even old like um, U.S. like draft posters. And, you know, during World War II when there were like, there's fear mongering. There's been fear mongering since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting seeing like how people were trying to persuade things. There's elements that I'll take. Um, For instance, like I have um, an image of a hand like with a knife and a snake wrapped around the dagger. It's like a tactical knife. That's influenced by some old anti-Nazi propaganda, as well as um, some South American, um, I forget what it was. It's all symbolic. You know, the snake was symbolic of whatever tyranny it was at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like reusing things when I can. And granted, I reinterpret them. I'll redraw them, but that influences from there. But I like that because it, it's taking what somebody else started and kind of being like, okay, cool, my turn to do something. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, I kind of had, I kind of I think I probably had the thought of not like me not being in that world at all, and you don't you don't see normally you don't see the process mm-hmm. of what an artist is doing. You just see the finished product, right? And then so I kind of assumed, I guess, that mm-hmm. most artists think of this idea, sit down and create it, and see- but I but I'm and I like the fact that you, because I kind of do that in a lot of the stuff that I do, which uh-huh. is totally different. But you know, you have some sort of thing that you're starting with, and then you take in as much information as possible around mm-hmm. it, and like influences from here and from right. there, and symbols from here and from there, and then you kind of piece things together. And as you're piecing things together, sounds like you're moving stuff in and out and mm-hmm. changing stuff. So it's oh, not yeah. a, it's like very segmented. It's not linear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I keep like these little notebooks in my pocket and everything starts as little thumbnails mm. and they're garbage. <laughs> like if I showed some to you, you wouldn't know what they were because they're just like, they're just enough for me to, it's like a visual map. Mm. And I mean like the hall monitor, for instance, was just like a blob with like a little circle head and a, a line for a gun. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? To, and it wasn't until I like started digging and finding references of soldiers holding guns and with the tactical equipment that I was able to go back in mm-hmm. and really put it together, you know? So it all starts as that very organic. Then it's like, okay, let me refine it and piece together what I want. Then let me polish it, and then it's done. Cool. You know? It's yeah, definitely yeah. a process for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. What? Um, Before I let you go, yeah, yeah. I'm just remembering that and I just found this out the other day that you have um, like a, a motorcycle or like parts of a motorcycle or, like, yeah, yeah. or you want to have a motorcycle, but then both of our wives hate motorcycles. <laughs> so let's spend a few minutes talking about right. motorcycles yeah, yeah. and how amazing they are and how everyone should ride one and have one. And that Tory. the roads, the roads would be much better if there were no cars and all motorcycles. Yeah, what but, do you have? Uh, well, so I have like a really old like mid seventies sportster that's in a few pieces at the time. It's my dad's that he gave me and I'm never like assembled right now. Mm-hmm. He had a fifty five panhead that he had restored and he drove's got like a suicide shift on the side. Dang. I grew up in Harley's. Like all my family 
um, has always, like I said, like there's very few family members that my dad grew up with that were into sports or anything. It was yeah. all automotive and it was all ragging things out and, you know, souping whatever up you can. Uh, me and my best friend, Nick, we've done that with so many vehicles, like just like I had this old creeper van that I <laughs> blacked out and I've made a ramp for my motorcycle to fit in. Nice. That motorcycle was a, like an, a 2001 CBR, like a Honda. Mm -hmm. I took all the fairings off and put a solo headlight. They call it like a street fighter. Yep. Um, and I quickly realized while those fairings were on, like <laughs> yeah. when you, the wind's like beating the hell out of you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that always, that all goes back to that influence, you know, growing up, my dad, um, showed me the custom motorcycle tanks of like Von Dutch and Ed Roth with, um, Ed Roth made these like rat fink figures and, you, I don't know if you know who he is, but you've probably seen some of his stuff, that classic, like, van murals, basically, of, like, a really giant creature in a tiny car with a big stick shift. Okay. Like, maybe, a crazy yeah. mouth with a tongue sticking out. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Roth's the one that started all that. Okay. But that, it's funny, because, like, my dad didn't want me into punk rock and punk stuff, but that old school, like, 60s and 70s punk aesthetic of that was started by, like, Robert Williams, who founded Juxtapose and Von Dutch and everything else, like, he planted those seeds and didn't even realize it, you know, <laughs> That's cool. it just materialized later or something else. That's cool. So you, so you've ridden a lot growing up. Yeah. 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 Um, well with my dad, especially growing up and yeah. um, when I had mine for about two and a half years, I drove it a good bit, but yeah, I, not as much as I'd like to because of school. Right. I, I had mine or my dad like grew up riding dirt bikes all the time uh, and he got me a dirt bike when I was, I guess 13, 14, yeah, something yeah. like that. And so I loved doing it. And then I kind of was, uh, I went, I went to, um, another part of the state for the first couple of years of college, uh -huh. but I was wanting, I had been wanting to get a motorcycle and then, uh, came back to finish at LSU and I was like, I'm going to get a motorcycle. And my dad had always told me there's two things that I'm never going to buy you is a handgun uh -huh. and a motorcycle. And motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I don't care if you get a motorcycle, but you're paying for it. Right. You're paying for the insurance okay. and like all this stuff. And so, um, so yeah, I like, I like saved up. I got like a little loan to, uh, from the bank yeah, to yeah. help, you know, quote unquote, help my credit score, right, right, which right. was really just to get the motorcycle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got the motorcycle and I loved it. That was like, um, it was a street bike. Yeah. That was the first, um, actual motorcycle that I owned to ride on the road. Uh -huh. I had ridden a couple with my dad before, like friends that let us borrow it. We would ride around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, riding the street, but I rode it like as much as possible. It was so riding a motorcycle is, it's a different experience. I, and this is kind of cliche too, but it is a different like, experience. It's like a little freeing. Um, I mean, it's, it, dude, it's, it's very so, freeing. It's but. so overused, but the first time I rode a bike by myself, I, I remember thinking in my head, like, man, this is so cliche. I'm thinking this, but it's like flying. Yeah. There's, there's no, or, or like what you expect to feel like flying yourself. It's, yeah. it's strange, man. It's also like exhilarating because it's like, cool. If I hit a rock, this is it. <laughs> right. I'm done. That's why, that's why insurance is so cheap on bikes. Yeah. Like, man, we'll just have to scrape the road. Yeah. Like, you'll be, <laughs> exactly. We're not going to have to fix that bike. There won't be somebody to ride. There won't be, there won't be somebody to ride and there won't be much left of it for sure. But yeah, I, I, I like the, I, that's funny that I didn't even really know that you rode motorcycles till just the other day. Yeah, man. So. It, it's been a while since I have, like, don't get me wrong. Um, life kind of got in the way, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, motorcycles just in general have been a big part of my, my entire life in some way or another. Yeah. That's really cool. I do. I do love riding motorcycles. I want to get one as soon as possible, but, uh, you know, you have to convince the wife of things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I don't know. I got a lot of stuff out of my system, and not necessarily that I don't ever want to bike again. Just I've got other things that I'm focusing on. It's like, well, right. I'll get to that later, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a leisure thing. I yeah, think. it's not a necessity. All right. Even though I I do have a good argument for if you're in college, mm-hmm. the parking situation is much better. Oh, dude, than a yeah. Cycle. Roll I mean, right up. Especially <laughs> when you have a mile walk after oh, no, you park. Dude. But bike park right you in park there. right by the building. Yeah, it's it's legit. Uh, what about? I was super into before I let you go. Another thing. Yeah, yeah. Before um, I was super into like uh, metal type uh-huh. music when I was younger. Still love metal. Um, and then some punk stuff, uh-huh. but not quite a lot of the. There's like a there's like a sound to the punk. Yeah, that you, yeah. That you um, grew up on. It's kind of like that. That grungy punk, the garage type punk, the um, very DIY. Yeah. So, what is that? What? what uh, tell me a little bit about maybe a few of your favorite favorite artists. How that plays into because it seems like that type of music is very much aligned with the whole. It's all connected uh, the, with the, the whole that aesthetic genre. approach. Yeah. yeah, aesthetic. That's the word. Well, the thing is, like uh, I told you about that iPod. That was my first, like you know, influence into that, but. Um, I never went to a bunch of concerts or stuff growing up until late high school. They had hardcore bands that would start playing around town. Um, specifically like Waking to the Nightmare and like a few other touring bands would come through. Like I actually never went to the dark room really. I, I knew I, about I it. I actually went a couple times. See, I, that was right before I, st- I was able to drive. So okay. I couldn't make it from Gonzales over here because yeah. I didn't have friends going, but I was around for, um, like here today, gone tomorrow. Like the um, little thrift shop off Burbank was okay. where like a lot of that started for me. But man, being being around like those hardcore bands and like the punk and post punk stuff, like the energy around that place is just infectious. Mm-hmm. And I just remember going there. And I I never even like jumping the pit around. I was never about that. But I was just like remember being there and just man, like everybody in here is so free right now. You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of people being there just to impress this girl next to him and yeah, this and that. Yeah. But I mean, like everybody's sweating, everybody stinks. And it's like that helped turn me on to the history of that, which is when I started really getting into Black Flag and um, Sex Pistols and Dead Kennedys and a lot of people like that. But also newer bands um, like Black Flags. It sounds cliche. Well, all the people that I look up to, it sounds cliche probably. But um Black Flag's my favorite band ever, but not just because of the music that they made. Um, most of the reason that I like Black Flag so much is because of Henry Rollins, the lead singer. And I'm sure we've talked about Rollins. Yeah. I, was he on a Rogan review? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's been on there twice, I think. Yeah. Rollins, man. I had he's, my... he's, the, he's the guy that's like, you've seen his face for a long time. And then you finally hear him talk and see him on some yeah. interview somewhere. And you're like, oh, he does that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually got to meet him and have really? my first interaction with him. He had a speaking tour. He has like a spoken word thing that he does. And it came through town on... Through Baton Rouge. Yeah, 2012. He was at the Shaw Center. Wow. And uh, it's funny. That was my first Shepard Ferry poster. Because Shepard's buddies with him and has done a lot of work for him. Yeah. Shepard designed the tour poster. Uh. And so my first Shepard, P- Shepard uh, poster was one of Henry Rollins in an Uncle Sam outfit. It was for his capitalism tour. Oh, cool. And um, anyway, I got to meet him and that, like, I had already been listening to Black Flag a little bit, hadn't really dove into the history of him. And at that point, um, man, he is like one of my favorite figures. 
because I think Henry Rollins is an excellent example of human capability because I think he's one of those, there are stupid people out there. Mm -hmm. There are really smart people, (laughs) but there's, there are unintelligent people that don't realize they're unintelligent and they'll be that way their entire life. In my opinion, Henry Rollins was a man incredibly aware of his limitations and changed them. Mm. As far as not being well versed or not, you know, knowing a lot of information, he's just a sponge, man. And like, I look up to him incredibly because like he's a very like no nonsense kind of guy, which I really like. Um, and I just, I love his opinions on a lot of things. Maybe not everything. I don't like, there's nobody out there that I agree with 100%. But, um, Everything about him, like being self-made and I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but Black Flag was already a band before he he went into it. Mm -hmm. They were actually touring and I think something happened and they like maybe called him on stage at a show and he finished out a song. Wow. And then later on went back and like auditioned and the lead singer was like, yeah, I I think I think forget what it was. He like retreated into the band a little bit more and didn't want to be the front man Mm. and henry took it over um but yeah man that that was part of that he's a really good embodiment of that punk music and like you're saying that very like specific sound Mm -hmm. like grungy and rough like the sex pistols there's stories of the sex pistols like stealing their instruments from other people wow and they were (laughs) around for such a short time but had such a profound influence yeah and you know to circle it all back my work speaking for me that's what i loved about punk music because those people had their songs and their music speak for them Mm. and their um their distaste for things and how they wanted to change things and those things go hand in hand with what i do i think that's why i love punk music and i love all those older bands but also you know more recent ones um i'm not a music snob so like I'm not a and by that I mean like I can't tell you about all these different genres and subsects of this and that. Yeah. You know. They'll be like, oh, postmodern punk <laughs> influence. Yeah, like a hundred subsections. Yeah, I yeah. can't ever keep up with that. I can just tell you who I like listening to. Right. You know. I think that the the point uh and the articulation that you just put forward on what Henry Rollins is, how he is as a person, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good model that a lot of people would be better off emulating yeah that would then solve what we were talking about earlier about the all the political stuff it's it all like, goes to self-awareness man. yeah have the self-awareness to, to understand what you don't know and be open to changing your yeah. opinions on stuff and i think that the art that you're doing it can play directly into helping people do that mm-hmm. and then also as you are making a big change moving across the country and exploring new avenues then uh i'm excited to see what how your art changes over the next Thanks, few man. years for sure so i'm stoked you know I, I got plenty of influences I, i'm even lucky to have like hip-hop influences like kendrick lamar is one of my favorite artists ever and that's similar to the the henry rollins thing in the sense of kendrick opened up a view in a world that i hadn't i hadn't understood before and made me aware of issues that i'd never have to experience in my life i think that's the power of music you mm-hmm. know just like the power of art is mm-hmm. being able to show things that the viewer the listener maybe never had been able to consider you know cool so yeah i'm excited to see where things go dude if i die tomorrow i'll die happy like everything that's happened in the last few months is more than i ever could have dreamed of and um you know it's weird i knocked off so many things on my bucket list this year that i didn't even know i had 
You know, like so many things that I never thought I'd even meet Shepard. Mm-hmm. I figured one day Brooke and I'd take a trip and maybe I'd be able to peep a show or something like that. And now the fact that, like, I've been able to talk with him one-on-one. Like I said, man, if I die tomorrow, cool. I've, I've, had, a, I've had a full life as far as what I want to accomplish, which is really exciting because I don't know what's next. Right. Which, That's a good place to be. Oh, dude, I, I'm... I can't tell you how lucky I am. Yeah, you know? that's a, I, that's what I keep thinking back to the most of the last year kind of started with that one opportunity that you said earlier that came up mm-hmm. and you're talking about the whole luck aspect where it's it's something that you can't control until it gets to you. Right. And then that's when you can take control. You of just got to do something take, with it. Take the opportunity. And now you're later. It's you're changing your whole life because of it. And like I'm a workaholic and I think that's because the whole luck thing like. I just always want to be ready. Yeah. And that's not to say I'm doing the best of what I could be doing, but hopefully one day I will be. That's awesome. Well, I think we should end it (laughs) on that. Uh, What's all your, what's your Instagram and stuff so we can follow? Yeah. uh, My Instagram is just my name, uh, Thomas Wimberly. And then my, uh, my website is the same, uh, just thomaswimberly.com. Actually, like I haven't really talked about this too much. Well, you and I talked about it a little bit, but um, with the move, one thing I plan on doing is like blogging a lot for the sake of like personal, like journaling and keeping track of things. But also like there's so many artists out there that I really love that I can't find a lot of stuff from their early years mm-hmm. because the technology wasn't there and things like that. Mm-hmm. So even if it's only for my own benefit, I want to be able to look back, like you said, in 10 years or so and have a recollection of everything that happened. Absolutely. So hopefully I'm going to do my best. We'll see how it goes. But that's the goal, at least. Cool. I appreciate you coming by sure, man. and being stuffed in this closet with me for a few minutes. No, it's awesome. Or an hour and a couple hours or whatever. Hey, man. Yeah, I've had a blast, man. I really, really enjoyed this. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. And a big thanks to Thomas for giving me a couple hours of his life. Really appreciate it. If you want to check out Thomas's art or see what he's been up to in the last eight months, you should definitely follow him on Instagram. His handle is at Thomas Wimberly. And his website is thomaswimberly.com. This episode of the podcast was sponsored by Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers and their delicious sweet tea, One Love. I should insert the the wolf right there, probably. Uh, Also sponsored by Chips Ahoy, because I, uh, I just ate a few of those before recording this outro. 